So he prays that their love will go stronger, that they'll love more and more, not less and less. But the only way you can do that, because see, love has to have an object. God is going to bring into your life some very unlovable people. You say, like who? Your husband. Maybe it's your wife. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your mother-in-law. <laughs> but God may do it on your job. He'll let some very unlovable people cross your path. And yet at the same time, what does he want you to do? You're supposed to demonstrate the love that God would show if he was here. Because, see, he's not here but he's here through you, and he wants to use you. So remember, when Jesus was here, people had all kinds of problems, and Jesus was a problem solver. You say, well, I can't walk on water. No, but you can show love. Well, I can't feed the 5,000. No, but you might be able to do something. Do you think it's God's will that you do absolutely nothing for nobody? Or do you believe it might be God's will for you to do something for somebody? Though you may not be able to do it for everybody, but there ought to be somebody. So he says here that your love, this is why this is so important. Now, look there in chapter 1, and also you'll notice there's other things that happens because of what God has for us. Look all the way down there, and you'll know that in verse, say, 20, down to verse 25, talking about this great decision that he has. He said, I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better but more needful for you. You must believe. People need you. Otherwise, I have no reason for living. If nobody needs you, you lost your purpose for living. So I've always believed, since I've trusted the Lord, you need what I know. You need what I know. I know something. I know God. Therefore, I am very rich and I have the greatest knowledge that any man can ever possess in all the world, and you need to know what I know. Therefore, that is important. And I am important. I'm here because you need me. I've had people say, well, God doesn't need you. Well, the Bible says just the opposite, that he does. Therefore, we should serve the Lord with all our hearts. But you notice what he says down here, and look at this verse 25. Having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you for your furtherance and joy of faith. For your faith, so that you will grow stronger. Not just in love, but in your faith that you can trust and wait upon God. See, faith waits upon God. Faith means you, got, you can trust God. So are you growing in faith, growing in your dependence upon God, growing in your love for others? Well, that's a sign of growing spiritually. And so he makes a statement here in verse 26 that you're rejoicing. It's all about you. Serving the Lord. I've had people say, well, I used to say it too. Serving the Lord's easy. It's people I can't stand. You know, boy, if I could just serve the Lord and just leave these people out of my life, it's so much easier. But you figure out how you're going to serve the Lord without serving people. Duh. Because that's why God left us here. For people. Did you get what he says here? In verse 26, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. In other words, I want to be a blessing to you. I told Betty, I said, we're going to go on a trip and we're going to go bless a few people. 
Now, we didn't go to be blessed. You bless me. I said, let's go and be a blessing to anybody we can. Wherever we go, let's encourage, let's talk to them and try to encourage them in the Lord. It is so much more fun. You don't worry about whether or not did everything go right. Did this work out right? Did that work out right? It doesn't matter. Was I a blessing? I wanted to be a blessing to Dr. Scudder. And I think so. I told him I enjoyed that 100-mile trip. You say, well, did you? No. I mean, yes. I did. I really enjoyed it. Because it was over like that. I mean, I don't want to do it again. A <laughs> hundred miles to eat a meal. But um, think of how far we're going to go to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You say, well, how far is that? Well, I don't know, but it's pretty good ways. And, it, and just think, I hope everybody's get there at the same time because I want the food to be fresh. You think the food will be stale in heaven? I think it will be just right. Just right. You know what I want to do for the first thousand years? Eat without getting full. Wouldn't that be fun? I know Dan would love that. Just eat without getting full. But may not work. Now, look what he says in verse 27. Look at verse 27. Only let your conversation or your behavior, your manner of life. He see, what Paul was going through, and the reason he was in jail is because of what he did in order to reach people. And so it didn't always work out good for him. Sometimes he had to suffer. He had to do without. But aren't you glad that you have the book of Philippians in your hands? What a book. This is one nice book on joy and serving God and uh, realizing how great it is to have an opportunity this side of eternity to, to serve the Lord. So look what he says here. And he says in the last part of verse 27, he says, that I may hear of, and you ought to underline these two words, your affairs. You see, there's things about your life that you're going through. Remember, there's a verse that talks about being not entangled with the yoke of bondage. And then he talks about being a good soldier and not being entangled with the affairs of this life. Because, you see, if you keep your mind focused on the Lord... Well, then it's like, you know, you walk in and your life straightens out. Like, you know, hold on to a rope and walk and it'll straighten out. But if you try to push a rope, well, then it's going to get all tangled up. And people's lives, when you follow the Lord, your life straightens out. You go against the Lord, He will resist you and everything gets messed up. So some people's lives are just a bundle of nothing but nerves and emotional breakdowns and they just they can't face life well stop trying to push against God just walk with the Lord and trust him trust him to walk you through it and it'll give you a peace of mind because all of it remember deals with the way you think this book deals with your mind so notice what he says here he makes this statement in the last part of verse 28 that ye stand fast in one spirit with one, see that word again? One mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And then you'll find out that everything that you do, remember, if God is in it, there's an adversary that's also going to be in it. So in verse 28, and then nothing terrified by your adversaries. Did you know that one of the greatest dangers in a Christian's life that shows question and doubts and distrust of the Lord 
is the element of fear. What are you afraid of? Fear will destroy you because you're afraid and it'll rob your mind because you don't know how it's going to work out. You don't know how God's going to do it. You don't know how. You're not supposed to know how God's going to do everything. And it'll just rob you of your joy for the present moment. Learn to trust the Lord and just keep getting up and you don't have to figure it all out. What's the worst thing that can happen to you? To die. And when you die, what happens? You go to heaven. So what's your problem? I mean, really, when you get right down to it. Because your greatest problem's already been taken care of. These little things that we go through here is penance. As he says in the book of 2 Corinthians in chapter 4, he says, the light affliction is but for a moment. This whole life of ours is only a breath, a vapor of smoke, only a moment, gone. Remember just yesterday when you were 17 years old? Just, it was just yesterday. When you looked in the mirror and you were so young and cute or handsome, just yesterday. Surprise! And isn't it true that we can't hardly stand growing old? You look in the mirror and you say, mirror, mirror on the wall, and crack. <laughs> I could get sidetracked here. I, gotta, I have to watch myself. I have to totally restrain myself. But there is going to be an adversary. There's things that goes against you to rob you of your peace of mind, rob you of your joy, but you've got to learn how to think. So look what he says here in uh, verse 29. But unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to, I think you ought to just tear that out of the Bible. What does it say? Suffer for him. Well, now, if it says suffer for him here, then you tell me in verse 4 of chapter 4, rejoice in the Lord always. How's that going to work? That's got to be a contradiction in the Bible. Because you're going to suffer. I got some good news for you. Y'all are going to suffer. But rejoice. Because you know there's, there's more than meets the eye. You know that regardless of what happens in this life, you have entered into the fellowship of his suffering. So that's why in chapter 3 and verse 9 and 10, especially verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. In other words, it's about living above the circumstances. Well, how are you doing? Well, under the circumstances. And pray tell, what are you doing under there? You're seated in the heavenlies. Look down upon all of that stuff. Well, under the circumstances, <laughs> we can sound so pitiful at times. I think God says, oh, my goodness. God's up here saying, you, you, you're making me sick. <laughs> Did you know there's a verse in the Bible that says, God said, I want to spew you out of my mouth? That's because you made God sick. But anyway, we're moving right along. So he says, you're going to have these problems. And see there in the next verse, having the same conflict that you see me go through because of my stand for the Lord, I want you to know that the sufferings that I've gone through have happened to the furtherance of the gospel. See over there in verse 12 of chapter 1? It's for the furtherance of the gospel. So there's, it's okay. It's all right to suffer a little bit. God is not going to remove all of your sufferings. He's going to let you suffer in this life. There's a verse in the Bible that talks a little bit about 
the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory. In other words, you're not there yet. You, if God would just pull open the skies and let you get a glimpse of the glory that you're going to have because of the suffering that you're going through, you'd want more of it. You would want more of it, not less. Because you know that all of your problems are nothing more than opportunities for you to serve God and to be found faithful. And wouldn't you want some opportunities? Of course you do. You'd be surprised if you learn to think the way God wants you to think, you can live a happier life. You can have more peace, more joy. You can smile more. Or when something goes wrong, do you fall apart? Ah, in the world. Oh, come on. Is it really that bad? Do you think God had fell asleep, fell off the throne, and he doesn't know what's going on with you? He, he got knocked out when he hit the floor. No. So this is why in chapter 2, he says in verse 5, let this mind be in you. Humble yourself now under the mighty hand of God. And in due time, what will he do? What will he do? Raise you up. He will raise you up. In other words, you're going to win. You're going to win. Always believe it in your mind. I am a winner. I'm going to win. It doesn't matter what Satan does. It doesn't matter what people say. It doesn't matter how bad things seem to be. I'm going to win because God's walking with me. I'm walking with God, and we're going to walk through this. And it doesn't matter. Sometimes it looks so black, so dark, so bleak, but you know that God's doing all these wonderful things for you. Now, look there in Philippians in chapter 2, verse 12. And verse 12 says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, I'm not there, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation. It didn't say work for your salvation. It's talking about working it out. So that regardless of what the devil throws at you, you can walk through it. And he will deliver you. And this word salvation here, you can draw it all the way over there to verse 19 in chapter 1. That I know that this shall turn to my salvation. He's not talking about hell. He's talking about being delivered even from the prison that is in, if that be the will of God. And trust the Lord to deliver you from whatever can come in this world. That's where your trust is. And so he says, do all things. Because he said in verse 13 of chapter 2, For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's not according to your will, and it's not according to your good pleasure. It's according to his will, his good pleasure. So your life isn't about how pleased are you, how happy are you. It doesn't really matter. You see, this is with heaven in view. This is with eternity in view of what God wants done. See, God has a purpose. God has a will, and he wants to bless you. So as you go through here, and you see all these things that God wants done. Now, in chapter 3, chapter 3, he goes down, and he talks about all the things that I am. He says, I'm a, of the tribe of Benjamin, and I'm a, a Jew. I'm a Pharisee, and I'm, yeah. He said, but all those things, to have what Christ has for me, those things are nothing. And so the things of this world, 
Where's it saying Colossians someplace where if we then be risen with him, seek those things which are above or below? I bet you don't know the answer. Seek those things which are above. Colossians and chapter 3. It's very, very important because it says he is our life. He is our purpose for living. So here in Philippians in chapter 3, where he makes this statement about your walk with the Lord. Now go down here, and I want you to see this because it's so important. Look at verse 15. He says, let us therefore as many as be perfect or mature, complete, be thus minded. You ought to underline this, be thus minded. See, all of it deals with how are you thinking? Because, you know, all your success and all of your defeats starts and stops in the mind. Your success, your failures starts right up there with how you're thinking. So he says, be thus minded, and if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. In other words, if you will walk according to the truth that you already have, according to the light you already understand, and if you will obey what you do know to obey, and you're not doing something that's right, God will reveal that even to you. Because, you see, truth leads to truth. And if a man will obey truth and obey light, then God will give him more truth, more light. But a man who rebels against truth, rebels against light, he will find himself not getting more. He cannot grow. He cannot mature. And that's why he says in Hebrews in chapter 6, and we will go on to maturity if God permits. God will not permit you to grow when you rebel against divine truth and divine light. You see, if this is a river and there is a truth here and a truth there, well, if I don't get on this truth and accept this truth, then I can't get to that truth. And then I can't get to that truth. So when you rebel against truth, you can't get on the path of righteousness that God has intended for you. So this is why this is so important. So we look there in verse 16. Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Walk according to the truth that you have. Some people, and they'll call me up and say, Yankee, I need, some, I need some help. I need some help. I need some help. And they'll tell me their problem. I says, you don't need none of my help. I says, you already know what to do. You just won't do it. They want me to give them some new truth, some new light. Or justify what they want to do. They just don't want to do it. They already know what to do. They know what's right. They just won't do it. And I can't help some people. So he made this statement in verse 17. Brethren, be followers together with me, and mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. So that's why you're supposed to live a good godly life. Because somebody's walking behind you to follow your example. Follow Christ. And then he says this, down in verse 20. For our manner of life, our citizenship is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And who's going to change our vile bodies? Because, see, one day we're all going to win. We're going to lose these old bodies. We're going to be with the Lord. Every person that Paul talked to in Philippi, when he wrote this letter, where are all these Christians today? They're in heaven. They won. And today... While they're in heaven. Does it really matter how bad they had it down here? No. Because of what they're enjoying. 
You see, you've got to look beyond this life. Now, in closing, I want you to see this. Look now in verse 6 of chapter 4. Verse 6 of chapter 4. Be careful for everything. Worry, worry, worry. Worry about everything. Is that what it says? <laughs> Is that what we do, though? He says, be careful for nothing. In other words, don't be anxious and worry about anything. He said, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. See, all the problems of life is what forces us to go to God and talk to the Lord. You know, you'd be surprised how many of God's children can live their whole lives and never talk to God. They don't talk to Him. Have you ever seen uh, parents, got kids, they kind of get old enough to get out on their own, and you ain't heard from them for a year? Don't it break your heart when the grandkids don't call? When it's my birthday, Father's Day, guess what I'm waiting on? I'm waiting on a phone call. I'm not waiting on a call from Peter Amato. I'm not waiting on a phone call from Tom Stokes. I'm waiting on a phone call from my little granddaughter and my grandson. And the kids can be thrown in there too if they want to. But they mean more to me. I mean, I shouldn't have said that. I mean, they mean more to me because of their age. Whew, I can't get, get, get out of there. But now, he says in verse 7, And the peace of God, get this, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, human understanding, shall keep or guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So God says, if you'll cast all your cares upon him, he will help guard your mind. It's like putting some protection up there, and you've got, you know, all these little angels around with AK-47s, you know, protecting you. Don't you feel safer? I saw this one little piece of paper with a drawing of a little kitty cat walking along. He was walking into a prayer room. And then it says, coming out of the prayer room, this lion comes out. Turned a little kitten into a lion. See, when you pray and you talk to the Lord about everything, it turns that whimpering little kitty cat into a lion. And that's what makes you strong, cause you to be bold, because you didn't pray. I have a prayer on that there. I mean, a sermon on that prayer. It was three and a half hours long. If you haven't heard that, you need, you need to get that. But then he says here in uh, verse 8, get this, finally, brethren, you know, he keeps saying finally, and then he keeps going on for another half hour. <laughs> I'm talking about, you know, Paul did. Paul did that. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, don't do it. No, he says, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, now look at the next word, and you ought to underline it or draw maps to it. Think on these things. See, whether you're happy or whether you're sad is a result of what you think about. Where you're fearful or peaceful is a result of what you're thinking. It's the sign of a, a disciplined mind to trust in the Lord, and the peace is that result. But if you don't trust in the Lord, you're not going to have the peace. He says, there is no peace unto the wicked. Didn't know it's even wicked for a child of God to question and doubt God's provision, God's leadership? Seek the Lord with all your heart. Then notice what he says in verse 9. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me. And here's the biggest word in the Bible. Do. Do. 
And then verse 13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Now, there's a lot more involved in that, but I'll get into that at another time. Look up here. This hand represents you and me, and the wallet represents sin. We all have sin upon us. And the Bible says that God loves us, but he hates what we do wrong, but he loves us. And for us to pay for what we do wrong is eternal separation from God in hell. But God loves us and wants us to go to heaven. And to go to heaven, we have to be perfect, as righteous as God, and none of us are perfect. None of us are righteous. So no one can save himself. No one can do any good deeds to earn eternal life. God says we need a Savior, and we cannot save ourselves. You can't save anybody else. Isn't that something? You can't save you, and you can't help save anybody. Well, what if I get 10 people to help me? That ought to help. Well, what if I got 100 people to help me? Would that help? No, what if I got 1,000 people to help me? You know, everybody be good for me. Give me all their good deeds. Would that help? No. All the people in the world can't save one man. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord God in the flesh. He came into the world because he loves us. He hates our sin because it separates us from him. So Jesus Christ, who had no sin, didn't have to die. So he took all the sin of all the world, paid for it on the cross, came back from the dead, said that if we would believe that he did it for us, he would put that payment he made, he'd put it to our account. I have a payment now for all my sins. Well, who was this payment? Christ was the payment. So when you accept Jesus Christ, he was the payment for my sins. I have got a living proof of payment that my sins have been paid. And I get to go to heaven on what he did on the cross for me. And he said he'd never cast me out and never lose me. I can know I have eternal life, know that I'm going to heaven whenever I die. That's the best news in all the world. Let's pray, shall we? With heads bowed and eyes closed and no one looking around. If you're here tonight or if you're watching by internet, and we often have a lot of people that watch by internet that trust Christ as their Savior. We thank the Lord for everyone. But friends, you're not able to be in the service tonight. And there's no more that you have to do there than these people have to do here. Because, see, you don't have to come forward in a church. You don't have to fill out a card. You don't have to give any money. All you need to do is the only thing God wants you to do, and that's will you trust Christ as your Savior. Will you believe that when he died, he died for you? And if you will believe that, he said he would save you, give you eternal life, and you get to go to heaven on what Christ did for you. I pray that you will. Our Father, we thank you so much for all that you've done for us. Thank you for the free gift of eternal life. And Lord, for the opportunity we have as your children to do some of these things that are mentioned here in your word, that yes, we should have the love for one another, and that we should abound in it, and that we should have the fellowship that we need. And Father, we should have the joy because we're looking to you and trusting you. So bless each one here and help us to do right. No doubt there's different ones that are maybe struggling and having a hard time. And maybe some of these things will help them just to trust you a little bit more and that depend upon you to walk them through it. And we thank you so much for this good church and these good people. Bless us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.